Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. We are back with another episode on the Alliance of American Football, the AAF. It is week three, and we have some action to cover per usual. I'm joined by our resident Alliance expert, Ian Harditz, the Director of the Fantasy Labs NFL Platform, and an Action Network analyst. And we are also very happy to be joined by the godfather, Evan Silva, the senior football editor at Roto World. I would say a guy whose passion for and knowledge of football are outweighed only by the generosity with which he promotes upcoming talent in the industry. Evan, I really cannot say enough good things about you, so I'm just going to stop trying. Evan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's, it's been really fun to watch you guys pour yourselves into this uh, AAF over the last three weeks. Um, I just jumped into it like over the last week. So I'm trying to play catch up with you guys. But, you know, now after playing some AAF DFS, kind of getting my butt whipped uh, in the first week, you know, just didn't have enough knowledge yet. I, I feel like I'm going to I'm gonna be competitive and I'm really excited to break down the slate with you fellas. Well, the guy who has really been doing almost all of the work for the Alliance for Action Network has definitely been Ian. And uh, Ian, you were on the Fantasy Peace pod earlier this week with Evan and uh, Ross Tucker talking about the alliance are you excited for yet another AAF conversation with uh with Evan here it's a good time guys um you know had a good time on the feast for sure but yeah I don't know I thought my NFL stuff was pretty good during the year and get a little hype there but hey I'll take all the love I can get with AAF as well so it's uh talking about football in February again boys can't get much better guys let's get into it one thing that really was interesting that happened this week. The NHL Hurricanes owner, Tom Dundon, invested $250 million into uh, the Alliance on Tuesday, becoming the new chairman of the league. There were some reports that uh, potentially this was a, a bailout package. It's kind of hard to know exactly what this means, except I think this means some good things for the league, kind of regardless of whether this was necessary or not from a financial perspective. But Evan, I'd like to, to hear your thoughts on Dundon as a, like a maverick figure who might be able to do some really good things for this league. Yeah, I mean, I, I read a bunch of articles about him yesterday. I just wanted to learn a little bit about his background. He's 46 years old, so he's really young, you know, relative to certainly all NFL owners. Uh, so you, you kind of like that. You think that he might be a little bit more progressive, a little bit more forward thinking. He's a self-made businessman. He's not... You know, he didn't like inherit the team like John Mara or, you know, didn't just wasn't just born into wealth and ownership of a a sports organization. Uh, He went out and bought the Carolina Hurricanes in the NHL. He loves sports. He was one of the biggest early investors into Topgolf, which has kind of taken off, I think. And one thing that I that I kept coming back to in all the articles that I read about him is that he really placed a, a major priority on the fan experience. And I think that in order for the AF to really excel, they need to get butts in the seats. You know, they need to fill the seats. They need to sell tickets. I think that they're very aware of this. And I think that this guy might be the right guy to, to help do that. And, you know, the fact that, look, the, the, the league was allegedly reportedly in some early financial turmoil 
you know, don't love hearing that, obviously. But at the same time, like they just got $250 million. So they're not in financial turmoil anymore. And, you know, certainly shouldn't be for the rest of this season. You know, Dundon believes that $250 million is going to get them into, you know, well into year two, if not into year three. Uh, it sounds like he might even be interested in funding a, an expansion team in Raleigh, North Carolina, you know, because this league is going to want to expand if it has initial success. But I'm, I'm also interested to hear what you guys think about it. Yeah, uh, I love this. I th- it, he, this feels like very Mark Cuban to me. Like that seems like the type of guy that this is. So I think it, it's a good thing, Ian. Any thoughts on this? And then also uh, start to thinking about kind of the review of week two, any notable trends that you notice for some teams or players? For sure. Yeah, it just seemed like this came out of nowhere. And it, I think it would have been a lot better if the AAF kind of could have been on top of it and getting it released in the media because it came out and seemed like people were still worried about the players weren't getting their salaries paid, which, you know, was a glitch and they already fixed that. It just seemed like people were being told like the worst parts of this uh, potential deal, like before we even heard about the good things. I mean, yeah. $250 million is getting injected into a startup and the owner already has eyes on year two. Like, I think if that would have been the first thing right. most people heard, it'd be a lot different kind of conversation about it. So yeah, I mean, young, smart people with uh, pockets full of cash can't have enough of them in a new growing league. So all about that. And yeah, you know, moving on uh, just a little bit now, looking ahead to week three, a couple things uh, we've seen these first two weeks, guys, is I think for this league to keep expanding and keep being successful, we need more good quarterbacks. I think right now there's four, maybe five. It's looking like Josh Woodrum's going to be back healthy. But, I mean, I think that Orlando-San Antonio game last week really showed that it can be a fun product and, uh, you know, really get some good eyeballs if we do have two competent offenses moving the ball. You know, football is still football. If we get, uh, you know, some of those matchups between the lesser squads, San Diego, Atlanta uh, rings a bell. But uh, just, you know, emphasizing the good quarterbacks, I think they stand out so far. And the really big difference also is we literally have one bell cow right now in the AF, and his name is Trent Richardson. So take all your Trent 3.0 biases aside. This is the one guy getting the ball. So we need to keep that in mind. And uh, my last kind of takeaway, and curious on Evan's uh, NFL comps for these guys, but I think Charles Johnson, Rashad Ross, and Quentin Patton are top three wide receivers. So I'd love to hear which one of those guys are uh, OBJ, which one's Julio, and all that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I mean, just to spice it up a little bit, it's fun to think of, you know, Jaquan Gardner as this league's version of Maurice Jones-Drew and maybe Charles Johnson as like this league's version of Julio Jones and Rashad Ross as this league's version of Tyree Kill. Maybe Anthony Denham will emerge as – you know, this league's version of Aaron Hernandez on the field, you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of, it, it kind of spices it up, but I totally agree with your point about, you know, the haves and the have nots in this league are the teams, the haves are the teams that have the quarterbacks, you know, they're, I think that there's kind of, and I think that some people disagree with this, but I think that um, just in terms of like power rankings for the league, but to me, like there's a clear top tier. It's the Orlando Apollos in the Arizona hotshots. They have, quality quarterback play. I think that the jury is out. And then there's like a middle tier and the jury is out on three teams. Uh, The Birmingham Iron with Luis Perez, the San Antonio Commanders right now with Logan Woodside and maybe Marquise Williams, who we're going to get to. And the Salt Lake Stallions, who unfortunately had to trot out Austin Allen last week. And he was, you know, doesn't get a whole lot worse than 3.6 yards per pass attempt. But it looks like Josh Woodrum is going to come back. We're going to talk about him. He's a guy who's had a lot of success in NFL preseasons the past few years. And then at the bottom, I think, are the teams that pretty clearly don't have quality quarterback play. 
and that's Memphis with um, uh, Hackenberg, Atlanta with Matt Sims, and then San Diego under Mike Martz, who, I mean, that, that team needs to be a run-first team right now, I think. But, yeah, that's how, how I'd kind of tier the team so far through two weeks, entering week three. You know, one thing that's interesting, and, and so part of it is the quarterback situation in which maybe there aren't enough good quarterbacks in the league, but I also think some of it is a coaching situation and maybe a scheme situation where you do have some coaches who aren't using the quarterbacks they have in the best way that they could be. And you see situations like this in the NFL too, where you have coaches who aren't very good at maximizing the talents of their quarterbacks. And so like from a developmental perspective, like for the league, I think it will be important like in year two or, you know, even in the second half of the season for the coaches to start to think, not only are you developing these quarterbacks, but you're also developing coaches to think, are there coaches who can take these quarterbacks and find a way to maximize them instead of just trotting them out there and letting them get killed in a scheme that doesn't work for them? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I, it looks like Mike Mars started to kind of make that decision here this uh, uh, second week. I mean, week one, uh, San Diego had the highest pass play rate in the league. I mean, I think we all saw their quarterback get absolutely beheaded early on in that matchup. And then week two, they went ahead and uh, really ran the ball right down Atlanta's throat. Uh, Jaquan Gardner in that running game have been the most efficient in the league so far. You know, it makes sense when you're down to your third quarterback pretty much in uh, San Diego when you consider Josh Johnson was supposed to be there once upon a time. They're on the third quarterback. Run the ball is what they're good at. Looked like last week they finally took the steps to start running the ball more. So I'll be interested to see if uh, you know teams like that continue to do what they've done well. Evan, are there any things you see in the alliance that you like and that you maybe want to see the NFL adopt? Um, I just have been pretty impressed by the offensive concepts. Um, we've got a couple of quarterbacks that have had super high play action rates. You know, in the NFL, there were only three or four quarterbacks that – had play action rates over 30% in this eight-team league. We've got two quarterbacks that are well over 30% at uh, with Logan Woodside and John Walford. You know, Hermsmeyer and, you know, the, the, the data community has really shown the advantage, and Sean McVay himself has shown the advantage of uh, play action passes. You know, whether or not you have an elite running game, the hot shots do. John Walford does have an elite running game at his disposal. San Antonio has been a little bit more up and down, yet Logan Woodside has like at least shown flashes. I think that Steve Spurrier and Rick Neuheisel, of course, they were, you know, they are in a favorable position because they have the best two quarterbacks in the league so far. But I, I kind of wonder if their time away from the game, because I think that Spurrier walked away from the um, from South Carolina in 2015, and Rick Neuheisel hasn't coached since 2011. He's been an analyst. You know, these coaches, like, I, I wonder what they were they were doing during their, their time off in terms of, like, watching teams and, you know, thinking, you know, if I do get back into coaching, I would use those offensive concepts. And Steve Spurrier doesn't necessarily come from an air raid background at all, but his team kind of plays in an, with an air raid mindset, I think. I mean, big-time vertical passing team. And then – with Rick Neuheisel, they have been pretty run heavy, actually. I mean, John Wolford has not even gotten to 30 pass attempts in either of their first two games, but they're using uh, run pass option plays. They're using, you know, like I mentioned, a ton of play action. They're playing up tempo uh, to the point where, I mean, they're wearing out their opponents late in games. Mike Singletary, I mean, his Memphis Express team was beating 
Arizona for what the majority of last week's game admitted that his team just ran out of gas and you know the hot shots had played at this very high tempo and have really come from behind in, in each of their first two games. So I, I just I've been pretty impressed by the offensive concepts and I, I think that the the two offenses that have stand out have been the coaches that ha- had a lot of success, you know, at the college level, took some time away, and now they're having success with progressive concepts after that time away. Ian, anything you like? Yeah, I agree with everything Evan said. Just from like watching uh, the games, though, one of the things I found incredibly entertaining that I never would have thought of is these live videos of the replay officials going through their decisions have been fantastic. I mean, the big Jalen Marshall one in uh, week one kind of got everyone's attention to it. But just week after week, it's fun to hear them kind of go through it. And it just adds, uh, you know, an extra layer of entertainment to what's usually a pretty uh, boring and mundane part of the game. So I'm all for them just trying to kind of help out these lag times in NFL games because it is hard to sometimes sit through three and a half, four hours of action. So I appreciate, uh, you know, the AF trying to, make, you know, these lag times more entertaining, you know, increase the pace of play uh, without kickoffs and things of that nature. So I love it, man. Hopefully they keep trying and continue to act like this minor league where they're, you know, happy to be a G League-esque organization and uh, really go out there with some new rules. Yeah, Ian, totally agree with that. The the pace of play, the kind of smaller things around the game that make the game a little more entertaining as someone sitting on your couch watching it. Uh, I think those things are important. Okay, let's get into the action for this weekend. The first game, we have 3 p.m. on Saturday, the Arizona Hotshots at the Salt Lake Stallions. Uh, We have just had some lines released. So the Hotshots are three-and-a-half-point favorites. The over-under is 46. This is a rematch of the week one game. Ian, any thoughts kind of shooting from the hip on what we might see in this game? Yeah, so remembering back that week one game, Arizona won convincingly 38-22. But the thing is, Josh Woodrum was only playing the first half before he hurt his hamstring. Salt Lake was only down 19-16 to at halftime before Woodrum left. And I think that's why we're seeing this line only at a three and a half points for the hot shots right now. Still early in the week, but Woodrum was practicing on Tuesday. Dennis Erickson came out, pretty much said he expects to have him back this week. So much better uh, prognosis than we had last week, where it was kind of a game-time decision, but hadn't heard Erickson really give any good words about Woodrum all week. So expecting to see kind of the best version of the Salt Lake team that we've seen all season. But uh, the one thing that I'm interested in here is, like you said, it is a rematch of week one. And uh, one big thing Jonathan Bay has touched on a lot over the years is quarterbacks in the NFL and their second matchup versus division have performed significantly worse, at least in terms of fantasy, which, you know, is obviously correlated with on-field success as well. I mean, specifically with our Fantasy Labs Trends tool, quarterbacks have a 52% consistency rating against non-division opponents late in the decision, drops all the way to 44% in division. So could definitely see, you know, only two weeks for these offense to improve. I think the edge here is on the defense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Evan, anything that you kind of notice about this game? Thoughts on maybe how the two teams might match up? Yeah, I think that the Stallions are dangerous uh, in this game. And I think that that line that came out probably surprised some people. I mean, you have an 0-2 Salt Lake Stallions team facing a 2-0 Arizona Hotshots team, which has generated some, some mainstream notice. Like people have heard of the Arizona Hotshots at this point. And like people probably haven't even heard of the Salt Lake Stallions at this point. But as Ian mentioned, Salt Lake was very competitive in that first game against this same Arizona Hotshots team in Arizona before Woodrum went down. And last week, they should have won the damn game against Birmingham, who I think is a top three or four team in the league in Birmingham. 
except they botched, you know, four field goals, missing three, and Matt Asiata, of course, uh, losing a fumble inside the 10-yard line of the iron. Salt Lake should have won, you know. I mean, even with um, with a much poorer quarterback play, uh, Austin Allen, at quarterback, and now it looks like they're going to be getting back Josh Woodrum. Josh Woodrum, over the last two NFL preseasons, 67% completions, over eight yards per pass attempt, three touchdowns, one interception, two rushing touchdowns. So I think that he can really breathe some life back into this, this Salt Lake offense, assuming that he can make it through the game healthy. His number one receiver in that first game was the tight end, Anthony Denham, who has played for a couple of NFL teams, mostly uh, with the Houston Texans. Uh, he had seven targets in the first game, five catches for 59 yards against, again, this same hot shots defense. Salt Lake has not played a game at home yet. So they're finally getting their home opener and they're facing this Arizona team that began with two home games. So I think that Salt Lake is dangerous. Yeah, I like that. And, and one thing I've noticed, uh, this line has popped up uh, at another place and it's actually uh, minus four at that other place. And and so I, I think there there could be opportunities. I could see this line moving during the week where if you like the Salt Lake Stallions, it might be the play just to kind of even wait a little bit and maybe you can get that line at a better price. Because I, Evan, I, I do agree with you that this is a, an interesting team with the Stallions and people are probably going to like the hot shots, gravitate toward the hot shots because they are 2-0 and and they did win that first game. Ian, thoughts on this game? Uh, any takeaways potentially from week two that we can apply forward? Yeah, a big thing to remember, I think, is like Evan said, Salt Lake is not really an 0-2 squad. I mean, by all intents and purposes, they should have beat Birmingham week two and were playing competitive with Woodrum in week one. Uh, the one thing I'm really looking for in this game is if Salt Lake can do a better job uh, in the secondary because so far this year, they've actually been the top defense in uh, yards per rush allowed. They've been sixth in yards per pass and obviously facing John Walford and company. That's the last thing you want to kind of be struggling at. But I think they could actually uh, – have some luck this week because Josh Huff uh, wasn't able to practice Tuesday with an illness. Uh, Richard uh, Mulaney was limited with, I believe, a knee injury. He might have suffered during practice. So, I mean, Rashad Ross has, has been the guy there. He hasn't even needed many targets to just completely devastate any defense he's gone up against. But if uh, Arizona's banged up and Salt Lake's able to stop the run like usual, I think they have a little bit better chance of maybe limiting the passing game. All right, so Evan, you are on uh, you're on the Stallion side on this. Ian, do you have uh, any way that you're kind of leaning on this game? I like the under more than anything. Uh, the, the first total I saw was 46, which is the highest of the week, and I'm kind of riding that second matchup uh, pro defense strategy I mentioned earlier. So I'll be taking the under here and in the matchup. Yeah, I, I like the points with Salt Lake as well. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. Yeah, and, and uh, kind of going along with – the, uh, the trend that uh, the Bills had noticed and that you mentioned earlier, we typically do see in rematches, we see the under hit more often than the over because those defenses are more familiar and it's not as, uh, not as easy for the offenses to do what they want. Let's go to that second game on Saturday. We have the Memphis Express playing at the Orlando Apollos. The Apollos favored by 14. Oh man, that's a big number. The over-under is uh, 45 and a half. Ian, give us some uh, some takeaways from week two. Yeah, I was thinking maybe we can make it another week without seeing a two-touchdown dog, but I guess not, guys. Sheesh. Uh, yeah, I mean, M Memphis was beating the best team in the league, Arizona. I mean, some people's idea of the best team in the league. For most of that game, I mean, they were – they were up 18 to, I believe it was six pretty uh, early on. And then Memphis goes on to pretty much lose 
20 to 18. I mean, Zach Stacy was able to get going. He was the first running back with over 100 yards. I mean, Christian Hackenberg deserves zero credit for getting them that lead. I mean, at one point in the broadcast, they mentioned in the third quarter, you know, with a two-score lead, Brandon Silvers was warming up on the sideline, a potentially ready to replace Hackenberg. So far from a, a secure situation under center there. Even the Zach Stacy game, I, I mean, he, he looked good and everything, popped off a nice 40-plus yard run, but it just seems like more of a fluid backfield. I'm more inclined to uh, maybe go to his backup, Terrence McGee, but we can talk about that uh, a little bit later. And, yeah, on the other side of the ball, Orlando looked like the only team that can really challenge Arizona with that big win against uh, San Antonio. I mean, their offenses easily look like the best uh, kind of passing unit in the league behind Garrett Gilbert. And Evan was bringing up some uh, good play action rates earlier. But the one thing I really noticed with Orlando, Gilbert, 30% of his passes have been attempted at least 20 uh, yards downfield this season. No NFL quarterback has even cleared 20% in the last five years. So, I mean, this uh, sun and gun offense in Orlando is really chucking the ball downfield. It's been fun to watch. Evan, what do you think about these two teams here? I mean, this is, you know, the best team in the league facing – you know, arguably the worst team in the league. I think that Memphis is probably a little bit better than um, Atlanta. But, I mean, it looks like – I mean, it looks like Memphis might get shut out here. You know, this could be like um, like a 40 to nothing sort of blowout. I mean, the, the team's just, you know, based on their performance to this point, just, you know, at opposite ends of the spectrum. Ian did mention how Zach Stacy kind of got going last week. And that's really the only way that Memphis has the ability to generate any kind of offense – Ian also mentioned how Silvers was warming up. What the heck is Zach Mettenberger doing on, on the on the sideline? He's not warming up. He's, he's over there smoking cigarettes. I mean, what is what? why can Mettenberger not get in any of these games? He's not even a consideration. From like a daily fantasy standpoint, you know, I, I think that we've got Garrett Gilbert and Charles Johnson, the clear number one quarterback in the clear number one uh, receiver play in this game. Uh, the Express have already been lit up for six completions of 30-plus yards in two games. Quentin Patton went over 100 yards against them in week one. Last week, uh, Josh Huff had 84 yards. Uh, Rashad Ross had four catches for 67 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, I don't think that there's anybody in the Memphis secondary that can hang with Charles Johnson. The Apollos really go four deep at receiver. They have a lot of rece- – actually, five deep. Their number two is Jalen Marshall formerly of the Jets, Chris Thompson, who's played for the Texans, Speedster, uh, Rennell Hall, uh, who's been in the NFL a little bit, and then Ishmael Hyman. So, and they're not throwing the ball to running backs very much. They're ignoring their tight ends in the passing game, and they go really go five deep at wide receiver. I just I – don't, I don't think that Memphis is going to be able to, to deal with them very well. From a DFS standpoint, my uh, biggest conundrum here is – trying to figure the figure out the running back to capitalize on this situation because it looks like the Orlando Apollo should be in really good, a run-friendly game script. But which back are we going to be looking at? It's going to be Akeem Hunt, who was really good in the first game, total non-factor in the second game. Ernest Johnson, who looked really good uh, last week, and uh, he was the, the back of choice, Spurrier's back of choice in crunch time. Uh, and then Davion Smith, who he's big, ran four eight five coming out of Michigan. But he led the running backs in snaps and targets last week. He's already got two touchdowns, two two-point conversions. He's getting the ball in scoring position. So, you know, I, I think that the, the Apollo should roll. And then how do we you know, fit that toward uh, the decisions that we make in daily fantasy? Ian, do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I'm I'm riding with uh, Devion Smith out of that backfield because it does look like, uh, like Evan says, he's getting those uh, kind of goal line two-point conversion opportunities when they are available. I mean, I know Akeem Hunt's the biggest name there, but that dude cannot get going in the passing game. He might legit be kind of the third worst back in that backfield, but still seems like a fluid situation. I mean, overall, I mean, right now Orlando and San Diego have the two highest pass play rates in the league. So I definitely do think they're out there to throw the ball. You know, we saw that last week where they didn't even really commit to the run till the game's uh, final possession. So, yeah, I think uh, also in DFS, uh, keep in mind that this is pretty much, a, you know, four or five, it's, it's mostly four wide receiver deep. I thought uh, Hyman was a little more involved last week. He only had like two snaps. So if you want to go down a little bit off of a Marshall and Charles Johnson, save some money. Chris Thompson, definitely a guy to keep an eye on as, as well as, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the other guy whose name escapes me because all four of these receivers are in PFS top nine yards per out run. When you're in an offense that's throwing the ball downfield this much, it's going to be great for any, anyone involved in the passing game. And I mean, Memphis, I think, has played better on defense and some people give them credit for it, at least in the first three quarters of these games, but they have wilted. It's tough to see, you know, Hackenberg really stopping, keeping the ball enough to stop that from happening. And if you're going to vote against Orlando, get ready for some big plays. So it's tough for me to get away from Orlando. Yeah, the one thing that's interesting to me is that last week, I, I mean, I wanted to stay away from the Memphis Express as much as I could. And then when uh, I saw the line, so I, I believe it opened at 13 or 13 and a half, and then it, it ultimately moved to 16. And when I saw it get to 16, I, I had to bet it. But I don't know if I'm going to be in a situation like that this week. I mean, you know, my head is going to think, okay, this line is going to move. As we are recording this, it's already moved to 14 and a half. And like, I think it will probably continue to move. It it could get to 16 again. I just don't know even then if I'm going really to want to back uh, Hackenberg two weeks in a row, this week on the road against an Apollos team that I think is really, really good. At the same time, I don't know if I want to be laying 14, 14 and a half points either. But uh, Evan, do you have uh, any, any lean on this game? Yeah, I'd probably go under and uh, Apollos to cover. Yeah. I mean, you know, and one thing also to note about the Apollos is that their secondary is just absolutely lights out. You know, they've got a ton of NFL players. Will Hill was like a top five safety in, in, at Pro Football Focus a couple of years ago. Keith Reeser has been uh, one of the league's shutdown corners so far. Marquez White was a member of that Florida State uh, National Championship team. Ladarius Gunter was out here covering Des Bryant in a playoff game uh, not too long ago, getting beat. But, you know, I mean, he, he has like NFL playoff game starting yeah. periods. And, you know, so far they have held – uh, opposing quarterbacks to 42% completions, five yards per attempt, one touchdown, four interceptions. You know, I, we're not going to, it's going to come down to like the running game for Memphis and Zach Stacey, you know, he's one of the best backs in the league, no, no question. But I mean, it's the offense is so one dimensional in Memphis. I don't think that Brandon Silvers is the answer, you know, even if he comes in and replaces Hackenberg. Ian, you have a lean on this game? Yeah, I, I'm not. The over-unders is tough for me to tell because it's pretty much like, can Orlando score 46 points? They might be able to. And, uh, you know, because I'm not expecting anything from Memphis. But I think I'm riding with the heavy favorite this week, taking Orlando. And even if that does get up to 16, I mean, I won't be pounding it. But, yeah, I'm I'm more inclined to take those points this week. So I think Orlando, uh, even if they might not be convincingly better than Arizona, I think they do definitely have the more explosive offense. So. Yeah. Ian, I hear you. I loved everything you just said there, but uh, guess what I love more? Mac Weldon. 
on previous shows, I talked about how I loved Mack Weldon so much that I had to wear their clothes all the time. Now, my love for uh, Mac Daddy Weldon has deepened. I love Mac Weldon so much that I now almost think their clothes are too good for me to wear. I order Mac Weldon from their wonderfully designed website. Uh, it's so easy to shop there, by the way. And then when the clothes arrive, uh, they look so good in the packaging that I almost don't even want to take them out. It's like they are pieces of art. This underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, they are all so perfectly designed and crafted that I almost want not to wear them so they can stay pristine forever. But then I think, wait a minute, Freeman, there's only one thing in the world that outweighs my desire not to wear these awesome clothes from Mac Daddy Weldon. And that is my desire to wear these clothes. I mean, why wouldn't I want to be as comfortable as possible dressed like a king? Really wearing a Mac Weldon hoodie is like being ensconced in velvet. That's the type of luxury that I'm talking about. Unless you own 100% Mack Weldon, there's a 100% chance that what I'm wearing right now is better than any clothing item you have ever owned. And that's especially the case if you don't have Mack Weldon silver underwear, which is naturally antimicrobial to eliminate odor. That's a powerful stuff. In fact, I think that Mack Weldon is so powerful that if his name were TJ Weldon, he'd be the number one running back in Jacksonville. If for some unfathomable reason you don't like the underwear, you will get a refund and you don't even need to return the underwear because seriously, why would Mac Weldon even want the used underwear of someone who wasn't smart enough to know how awesome the underwear was in the first place? I could go on, but I won't. Get some Mac Weldon in your life. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code ACTION at checkout. Guys, you don't need to tell me how great of a job I did on that ad read. Uh, I got through it without even laughing. Let's get back to the Alliance. On Sunday, we have two games. The Birmingham Iron, six-point favorites at the Atlanta Legends. The over-under is 40 points. I'm just going to say, I'm already hammering the under. Like the Atlanta Legends, the under for them, for me, that is just like the thing I'm like automatically going to under bet for the entire season. And I'm just not even going to think twice about it. Ian, give us some takeaways from week two. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate your decision making there with Atlanta. I thought you were about to throw some shade on my on my guy, Luis Perez. So I would have stopped you there. because no, I, I, I do think Birmingham's a little better uh, on offense than they showed last week. I mean, really wasn't good. Salt Lake should have won that game. We talked about all the kind of field goals they weren't able to make. But Birmingham basically won because their awesome cornerback, Jamar Summers, who should be in any defensive player of the year conversation, forced a fumble that ended up being recovered for a touchdown on a punt return. And then Perez was able to go get points with a short touchdown run by Richardson with about five minutes left to win the game. So definitely a competitive game against Salt Lake. But, hey, Birmingham was pretty much the consensus uh, league-worst team in terms of the preseason odds. Now they're sitting here at 2-0 with, uh, you know, only six-point favorites versus what I think is easily the worst team in the league. So chance for Birmingham to kind of be probably the league's easily most unlikely 3-0 team. And on the other side of the ball, Atlanta's offense finally looked like, I guess, something that wasn't quite as terrible last week. Matt Sims started off like 13 for 15. Still just, you know, they're not pushing the ball downfield. He had 25 pass attempts for 160 yards. Not like they're getting anything explosive. I thought the kind of big note to come out of the backfield is Terry on Fulson is definitely not the guy there. And it seemed like the fancy uh, relevant dude is now Akram Waldley. Excuse me if I'm messing his name up. But the guy came away, caught eight of eight targets for 70 yards. My question is, is this legit or is this kind of like a Ladarius Perkins thing where he just got a bunch of checkdowns one week? So I'm kind of leaning towards the ladder there. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, Wadley at Iowa was a guy who was a very good pass catching back. Like that is a, a key part of his skill set. Uh, so that could be something that he continues to do moving forward. Uh, but I think a lot of it was also kind of game script. He was just in a situation where he was going to get targets out of the backfield. But uh, yeah, Evan, what are your thoughts on maybe the backfield there, but then also this matchup in general? Yeah, the big thing that I'm looking for in this game is, you know, is Birmingham going to show up? Like, I just don't know how good they are right now. I thought they were good after the first game, but they, they should have lost the second game, as we mentioned, to a team quarterback by Austin Allen. The quarterbacks that they faced, and they, they've already gotten this nickname, the, the Birmingham Iron Curtain, the quarterbacks that they faced through two weeks are Austin Allen and Christian Hackenberg, okay? So they have not really been tested on defense. We can say that. They put up a pretty good offensive performance in week one, um, they did wind up uh, stalling a bunch in the red zone, settle for a bunch of field goals. Their running game has been super inefficient. Luis Perez, I thought, was going to be in that conversation with Walford and Gilbert as, you know, a top three quarterback in this league. But, man, this dude is slow. Like, you know, as the sample size grows, sometimes these guys get exposed. And Luis Perez has really slow feet. You get, you get him under pressure. And it's going to be problematic. You know, he ran 5-2-7-40 coming out of Texas A&M Commerce. I think that he is a decent passer. And I think that Quentin Patton is a pretty good number one receiver relative to this league. But, you know, they've, they've had very favorable circumstances in terms of their opponents so far. They've also played for both of their first two games at home. And now they're going on the road to face this like dead Atlanta team that no one respects. And this dead Atlanta team uh, opened the season with both of their games on the road. So I, it's a, a really interesting game, like, you know, from, from all those kind of like sports betting standpoints, um, you know, will, they, will those sports betting old school theories apply in this league? I don't know, you know, but I am with you guys on the under at this point, Trent Richardson, like, the, the inefficiency that he has shown so far is so reminiscent of him in the NFL. But the Atlanta legends have been the worst team against the run so far. 5.6 yards per carry to opposing running backs. This needs to be the game where Trent Richardson really shows us that, that he can run the ball in this league. Yeah, I love that. From a, a matchup perspective, this is the the Trent Richardson. He has like the 150-yard game, and people are like, that's Trent Richardson. Uh, yeah, people are just they're going to go crazy for it. Uh, Ian, what are you seeing in terms of the matchup between these two teams? Yeah, Evan was mentioning how uh, Perez is a pretty slow guy, and he's also being slow just getting rid of the ball. I mean, just looking at release times, which I think is part on the quarterback and also part on the scheme. I mean, we see John Walford with the quickest release time. I think that's both him doing a good job getting the ball out quick and also Arizona putting him in favorable situations to get the ball out quick. So to see Perez have the slowest release time, though, I think kind of backs up what you watch uh, on film when you look at Birmingham and it's, this offense definitely does not seem like one of the better, uh, you know, on Arizona or on Orlando's level in terms of kind of the schemes are running and what they're able to do. A whole bunch of first and 10 runs to Trent Richardson, it seems like. I mean, anytime you give a running back 42 carries and he has 99 rushing yards and there seems to be no concern in the organization about, hey, maybe we should consider changing this up a little bit. I mean, I'm worried about that. But – with that said, I mean, I know they haven't been tested, but they're not about to be tested this week, I don't think, either. So uh, th this is one more week for Birmingham, I think, to kind of skip by as a potential 
pretender disguised as a contender because if Atlanta, which they haven't been able to stop a run game all season, can't stop the one thing that everyone kind of knows Birmingham wants to do, it's going to be tough for Atlanta to stand up at all. All right, so Ian, you are on uh, Birmingham as a six-point favorite. Evan and I, uh, we are we're taking the under. Uh, okay, the finale for the weekend. We have the San Antonio Commanders at the San Diego Fleet. The Fleet favored by one and a half, a 43.5 over under. And this is a rematch, again, of a week one game. Ian, what are your thoughts in terms of the rematch? So week one, San Antonio wins 15-6. to six. It was a 6-6 six, six game going into fourth quarter, so definitely wasn't a blowout or anything like that. But I think San Antonio did look like the better team for most of that game. And San Antonio looked like they were better. I mean, they were playing better than Orlando for at least 45 minutes uh, last week before they gave up 17 unanswered in the fourth quarter. So a lot of good things from San Antonio. But, you, I mean, their situation under, under center now is getting weird. We got to remember, this is an NFL developmental league. So I think these coaches are going to have different opinions of what that means sometimes. Seems like Mike Riley, at least, is under the impression that he's going to play the guys that are performing the best in practice, which makes sense in most positions. Obviously, not so much a quarterback. But So during the broadcast, we had heard nothing about this situation during the lead-up. But apparently, Riley decided that Logan Woodside, their starter, would play two series. Then Marquise Williams, the backup, will come in for one. They do that in the first half, and then Riley would pick a quarterback to finish out the game. Well, in reality, Williams came in for one series, looked good, ran for over 30 yards, and then didn't play the rest of the game. They asked Riley about it after the game, and specifically, Riley said, I do think Logan is our starter. But then he turns around and says, Marquise made some plays. I should have put him back in during the second half. I just lost track of what was going on. We'll continue to do that with him. So it's going to be a quarterback rotation. With that said, I kind of like both these quarterbacks. I haven't seen enough of Williams to have a full impression, but I do think Woodside's in the top four or five. So I'm more concerned about that rotation, I think, for fantasy than I am for the overall, uh, I guess, health of the San Antonio offense. Yeah, Evan, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, San Antonio is another team that uh, I think that there's reason to have some skepticism about. Another team that began – the season, open the season with back-to-back home games, drew the highest attendance in the league in both of the weeks. Now we have this quarterback shuffling that Ian was talking about. Marquise Williams is interesting, man. Like, he started over Mitchell Trubisky, who was the number two overall pick in the NFL draft for two seasons at North Carolina. When he came in the game, I thought he, like, injected some explosiveness into the offense. Woodside was good for, like, the first quarter last week, and then – Really wasn't good the rest of the way. He's just been a roller coaster, I think, through two weeks. San Diego looked like they might be down there with Memphis and Atlanta after week one, but they clearly didn't didn't have like a passing game threat. And their their pass protection was terrible in the first game with Mike Bercovici. They benched him. They come back with Philip Nelson. Philip Nelson isn't good, but they like acknowledged their their strength, and their strength is their running game. They've got uh, Jaquan Gardner, who to me, um, I think is the best running back in the league. And Terrell Watson, who, you know, might be one of the most talented running backs in the league. And he's their number two. And he's, he actually kind of poses a threat to uh, Jaquan Gardner from a, from a daily fantasy standpoint. But he outsnapped Jaquan Gardner last week. He had 14 carries for 49 yards. And they kind of narrowed their backfield to two after playing a bunch more guys than that. And they committed to the run last week and that seems to clearly be their strength because their quarterbacks are just liabilities you know they, they've already started two different guys in the first two games 
And San Antonio's run defense hasn't been great. I mean, in the first two games, they've allowed 4.9 yards per carry to the fleet and the, the Apollos backs. These teams played in week one. Mike Marks abandoned the run, even though Jaquan Gardner was really effective on a per-play basis. He's averaging seven yards per carry. I, I think that this game kind of could, could go either way. Um, I think that, this, that San Antonio is uh, seen by a lot of people as being maybe even like a, a top two or three team in the league. And to me, like, I think that they still need to prove themselves, especially with their quarterback situation. Like, it, it really wouldn't surprise me if, you know, we see a lot more Marquise Williams this week, as Coach Mike Riley alluded to. Ian, which way are you leaning in this game? It is tough because in their first matchup, I mean, San Diego was able to run the ball really well in San Antonio, and they have kind of had the best, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to say Jaquan Gardner is the best running back in the league, but they have had the best rushing offense in the league. And he's Who's the best running back in the league, then, Ian? Just tell us. <laughs> Can we he's going to say, say Aaron Green. It's Jarrell Presley. Let's get this one-week sample size. Oh, no, Justin Stockton is about to take Jarrell Presley's job. Oh, my gosh. But uh, if we really want to talk pure talent, Aaron Green, and you guys know I'm right there. So, anyway, yeah, San Diego gets back to run the ball week two. It, may, it would make sense if they keep uh, going back to that. I don't know why they would all of a sudden start trying to air it out with Hope Nelson again. So, I get that, but at the end of the day, I do think San Antonio is the better overall team here. Even if San Diego isn't uh, Atlanta, Memphis level bad, I do think they're kind of the third worst team. And I think San Antonio is not top five, so plus points, I'll take San Antonio. But yeah, a whole lot of questions about them uh, going on the road and all that. So I, I like the under here as well, and also in conjunction with, uh, you know, rematch taking the under. So yeah. I'll probably be the donkey and, and uh, take the commanders as uh, underdogs there, but. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. In, in the end, I, I might just kind of stay away from this this game in general. I, I don't know if I have a really strong feel for it either way. Let's talk a little fantasy here. Fanball. I mean, hats off to Fanball for uh, for creating contest for the daily fantasy format that they have. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, three flex spots. And I believe that there is a, uh, a contest this week hosted by Fanball that pays a thousand dollars to the uh, the winner. I might be wrong on that though, but uh, you know some some good stuff going on there. From the daily fantasy perspective, Evan, do you have any kind of big picture thoughts for what you might be doing? Um, definitely trying to build around Garrett Gilbert, Charles Johnson stacks, uh, John Wolford, Rashad Ross stacks. I think that John Wolford to Richard Mullaney, assuming that Richard Mullaney is healthy. Ian mentioned that he was limited early in the week uh, with, I believe, a knee injury. But they've used him a ton around the red zone. Uh, He has gotten a a two-point conversion uh, target in each of the first two games. Last week, he tied for the team lead in targets. In the first game, he had, uh, I think, five for 57, five catches for 57 yards. Um, He's not, like, an appealing – like, you plug him into, like, you know, player profiler and – you know, it's like he's so slow. I mean, four seven six. You know, coming out of coming out of Stanford, but a lot of slow guys have have you know shown something uh, so far in this league. So, and his usage in scoring position, I think, makes him really intriguing, and his price drop as well. Um, so, I think that he's interesting. You know, I and I want to talk about Justin Stockton because this dude, like. First of all, he's leading the league in yards per carry. He had an unbelievable run in crunch time to help propel the hot shots to a, a comeback win last week. And I think he's a legit threat to Jarrell Presley. Am, am, I, am I crazy here? Like, 
I kind of like his profile too. He ran four four five coming out of Texas Tech. The eighty two catches at Texas Tech, getting those snaps in crunch time, and they really scaled back Presley last week. I don't know if I'm ready to play Justin Stockton in daily fantasy, but to me, like he's like a legitimate threat to Jarrell Presley. Yeah, Evan, I'm actually kind of with you right there on uh, on Stockton. I liked him a lot in college football DFS back in the day in 2015. Uh, he had 11 touchdowns that season. Was and as you mentioned, like he is a legitimate receiver. Like he has that capability, and he does have a lot of shiftiness. So even if he doesn't end up taking the job, I think he's enough of a threat as a uh, kind of change of pace guy who maybe gets occasional carries to limit the upside of the back that you would really actually want to start and hope could could be a kind of quote-unquote workhorse. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Stockton is someone who is definitely intriguing. Ian, what are your thoughts on that? And then also, uh, you know, the rest of the daily fantasy landscape there. Yeah, Stockton looks good. I'd love if they just kind of turned the backfield over to Presley and Stockton, but we got Mr. 240-pound Tim Cook butting his head into everything. I mean, he came in and yeah, I mean, Presley didn't play well last week. It seemed like after I believe he got stuffed on like a third and one and then on a fourth and one. And after that, it did seem like uh, Cook and Cook and his other guys were getting a, a bunch more run. It just seemed like Presley was really was locked in as that number one back in week one. I mean, I, I thought he was going to be the only other bell cow behind Richardson. So, I mean, m- maybe we'll see a whole new dynamic this week. It's definitely not a situation I'm super confident in. But now Presley's all the way down to 5,400. I mean, he's not even being treated as – uh, back in this top tier anymore so I'm willing to take one more shot on it this week but yeah it's certainly not moving in the you know perfect direction for I think it's called Jarrell Cow Truthers which I am a part of nice but yeah and then so at quarterback I'm a little interested in spending down this week I think we got some uh, opportunities here I don't it's tough to find a stacking partner so you know Josh Woodrum 5200 he's got a little running ability uh, so wouldn't hate going there and I just think Matt Sims at 5900 to be priced over Luis Perez is a complete slap in the face. And I mean, I'm not saying Perez is a top two quarterback, but I am saying he's much better than Matt Sims, who really hasn't been good at anything in his life other than having a good last name. So I don't know. I mean, I'm down to spend down at a quarterback. And I think uh, the Luis Perez, Quentin Patton stack could go a little bit under round with how well uh, Charles Johnson, Rashad Ross and those guys have been. So looking forward to it. All right, so one final question here from the Daily Fantasy perspective. Trent Richardson, is he a must-roster this week? I mean, like cash versus GPPs. Are you fading him in GPPs to try to sort of distinguish what you're doing, but you're rostering him in cash? Like, what are, what are you doing with Trent Richardson? Because he's kind of like the, the one person that I think people are going to be looking at this week. Evan, what are you doing with him? I mean, it just it doesn't feel right to say. But uh, I, I think he's a must-play. Like, yeah, lock in Trent Richardson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's awfully close. Um, and hey, you know, if you think this this Birmingham team can can roll up on this Atlanta team, and the Birmingham's performance against Salt Lake in Week Two was kind of fluky, because again, they did really look good in Week One. They've got a quarterback who you know we think might be good, but he also could be bad. They've got a, a receiver in Quentin Patton who. Um, you know, had two 30-plus uh, reception seasons in the NFL with the 49ers. They've got Trent Richardson, who we know we can count on for big-time volume. Um, I mean, I think that they're they're an intriguing, like, team stack against Atlanta. And then you could bring it back with Wadley, who we talked about Akron Wadley. He had, like, eight targets or something uh, last week. And he played 60% of the Legends' uh, offensive snaps, which is really, really rare to get a back playing 60% of the snaps. Um, so I think that that would be an interesting like game stack 
who knows what's going to happen in these games. I mean, as we've seen, uh, you know, sur- surprises from week to week. We're, we're still learning, still very much in the learning phase with this league. All right, in roster construction perspective, what are you doing with Trent Richardson? Yeah, I think he got a lock button him. He's he's got a good receiving floor. That's the thing. I mean, we're not just relying on these uh, rush attempts. He has converted ten targets in the sixty-four yards. I mean, I wish they'd kind of use him more as a receiver. It's almost, uh, you know, I don't know if there still is a ceiling for Richardson that he's he's uh, capable of reaching. But it does seem to me a little bit like the uh, kind of Todd Gurley. 2016-esque where not able to really get much going on the ground but if you get him a little involved as a, as a receiver it can kind of help open up those other areas of the game and open up other areas of the offense so I'd love to see Birmingham try to do uh, more things with him as a receiver but kind of going back to some concerns about you know Perez playing slow and things of that nature I'm not totally convinced Birmingham uh, has a good enough kind of scheme to really do that but this week yeah I'm locking in Trent. Yeah, I mean, one thing with Trent Richardson, people forget as a rookie, he did have 50 receptions. That was a significant part of the value that he added as someone in the NFL. So, uh, okay, Evan, what alliance pieces are you planning on doing this week? I'm assuming uh, the alliance matchups. Yeah, I'm going to do a full matchups column. I'm almost done with it, but I also kind of want to get some injury information because, you know, yesterday, like we had some you know fairly significant injury information. Uh, Dress Anderson uh, went on injured reserve, and we're just trying to you know pinpoint like uh, Larry Rose also got cut, uh, which narrowed his backfield from from four four to three. That Tim Cook, Justin Stockton, Jarrell Presley, you just feel a little bit more com- comfortable with those guys now that Larry Rose is out of the picture. But yeah, I mean we're just trying to figure out like who are some guys that can benefit from guys being out. Who are guys that you know, might potentially step up. Um, you know, we could talk about, you know, matchups and, you know, how, how these defenses and offenses have performed. But it's also important to uh, try to figure out based on, you know, based on the injury reports, what guys might get a little bit of extra volume this week. And, you know, we, we can, we can uh, capitalize on that uh, with our daily fantasy rosters. All right. And uh, Ian, you published the offensive scouting report on Monday. Our week three uh, alliance rankings are out at the site. You contributed. I contributed. Sean Corner, of course. What other pieces do you have coming out this week at the Action Network and Fantasy Labs? Yeah, week three ultimate betting guide should be out sometime tomorrow morning, afternoon. Then I'll have a, a fan ball specific fantasy guide out later Thursday, early Friday at the latest. Yeah, make sure uh, it, it's tough to find injury, injury information in this league, especially early in the week. But I have seen usually by Thursday, Friday, you know, we are able to kind of get the practice report. So make sure to check out the uh, ultimate betting guide. And I'll update that th- up to the weekend with the most up-to-date injury information we have. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. Please rate and review the show in iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Thank you to Evan for being on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Evan Silva. You can follow Ian in the Action Network app at iHeart. It's also use the app to get real-time NFL odds and track your bets for free. For Evan, for Ian, I am Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. See you again next episode.